Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? Welcome, everybody. This is the Podcast Editor's Mastermind, the show where we talk about the business side of podcasting. I'm Brian Entsminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. With me to whichever side I should point to is... Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com or on Instagram at Carrie Eric. And sitting in in producer mode today is Daniel Avendroth. He's at rothmedia.audio. I will say that this is our first time trying to record with Boomcaster. We're trying this because it appears to be something like a blend of Riverside in terms of a double-ender recording and StreamYard having some of the cool streaming features that make us look all pretty and stuff like that. So we're going to try this out. We'd love to have your feedback as far as what the experience is like for you. Today, we're going to talk about the dreaded, what happens if I mess some stuff up? And as podcast editors, this, well, I don't know about you, but for me, this is like one of my biggest fears is messing up somebody's show because it's their art, it's their reputation, it's something that they've put out into the world, and I don't like messing it up. But also, on some level, messing things up is almost inevitable because we're human, we're working with stuff, and we're making hundreds, maybe thousands of decisions for every episode that we put together, and we're making them in real time. So it's something that can happen, and we want to talk about not only what happens when it does happen, but what can we do about it? So, Carrie, this was um, a topic that we talked about. <laughs> I'm not going to throw it just at you. I'm not like that. <laughs> but this is something that we've kind of gone back and forth in, in our private mastermind about, not specifically like, should we ever talk about this? But it keeps coming up because things happen. So I'm wondering, like, has this ever happened to you? No, of course not. Uh, no, absolutely. It has. And it it is something that is just, like you said, inevitable. It doesn't just happen once and then you never make a mistake, you keep finding new mistakes to make as you do more and more of this work, right? And as you try new things, like anytime you're doing something new, especially mistakes are more likely to happen. Or if you're busy or in a rush or not getting up sleep. I mean, there's so many reasons that cause me certainly to make mistakes. And so, you know, having a strategy, which is why I wanted to talk about this, having a strategy to deal with it is super important. And then the thing that brought this up for me in terms of like, oh, we don't talk about this enough is that I got called out on a mistake in a meeting and was completely unprepared for it. And it had been a while since I made a mistake and it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I think that all of us have probably found ourselves in a similar situation. Where like deer in the headlights, like you're being called out, your amygdala is going nuts. You can't think in terms of words. All you can think is like, I've got to run and hide. So how did you work through that in the moment? Oh, after um, about a minute of stammering, I took a deep breath and I said, you know what? I don't know what happened. I'm very sorry. And let, you know, obviously I don't want you know, to get things wrong. But I also want to make sure I know exactly what happened, how the mistake happened, and figure out a way, like deconstruct it so I know next time how not to make that mistake. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. 
I said it more clear. <laughs> then <laughs> more clear. it was like, let me see what happened so I can put measures in place to prevent it from happening again. And then that conversation was over. It ended it. So I didn't need to run and hide because that satisfied everybody in the in the room. Yeah. And that's, I think, a great approach, right, is to say, okay, I need to put a little bit of distance between me finding out about this for the first time and coming up with a corrective action. Because if that happens, you can end up on the hook for something that won't actually work or, you know, end up having to backpedal. Emotionally, like in the moment, I'm like, I didn't make a mistake. How dare you say it? Make If I made a mistake, it's your fault. <laughs> um, you know, you go through all these like emotions and then you're like, oh my God, what if I did make a mistake? And oh my gosh, my life is over kind of thing. And so it's easier to do this over email than it is in front of somebody or in front of more than one person. You know, that was the big discomforting thing is like, this wasn't just like a private conversation. This was a very like open conversation. And so the emotional stuff you I had to work through in that moment was not easy at all. And coming back to that of course, I don't want to make mistakes. Of course, I don't want you to be unhappy. Of course, I want to. And I think I even said, I want to do my best work for you. So let me go deconstruct this and figure out how it will never happen again. And then I'll share that with you. And I did. I, ended, I That's exactly what I did. I dropped everything, essentially. Went and deconstructed the mistake. And yeah, part of it, part of it was my fault. Part of it was somebody else's fault. But Working through that's hard. I just want to acknowledge that. It is. And I think one of the things that can make things a little tougher is, in my view, there are, in broad strokes, kind of two kinds of clients when it comes to this kind of thing. You've got one group of clients that sees you as a trusted partner and somebody that they, they know and trust, and they're just wanting to work with you to get this right. And there are some other people that view you as a commodity in the middle of a zero-sum game where their only job is to win. And so I think understanding who you're talking to can also change how you respond. Because that second group of people, they know you're not ready, and they're going to push for you to make a response now because that becomes future leverage that they can use to keep pushing you in a corner. That's that's my view. I don't know. Maybe you can talk me off. Talk no, me off I think that that really is. And I think that most of my people are that first kind where you're like a valued team member and you're all in this together. And I think one of the things that made this particular situation so uncomfortable for me is because it was that second kind of person, which I'm not, because it's like I'm contracting, like it's a white label situation almost. And so this wouldn't be a person I would choose to work with, I don't think. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I didn't even think about this until today, that this was not my ideal client, right? And that the people that I typically work with, this is not how they approach things when I make a mistake. Because they also held on to the fact that I made a mistake for like a week and waited to tell me until the meeting. So that part was also upsetting to me. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's like not to get into fixed mode too fast, but that then starts to make me think, is there a follow-up conversation where you can just go, Hey, like I understand now that you knew about this for more than a week. 
Were you holding on to it because you didn't want to interrupt me? Or did you not actually want me to get it fixed? Yeah. And since this is a white label client, I took it to the person who's actually in charge of my contractor. And that's exactly what I said. I said, you know, it's okay to tell me that I made a mistake. And I essentially said, hey, I got my big girl panties on. Usually these types of mistakes are easy fixes. And, you know, most of the time I will spend kicking myself. And the other time I'll spend a smaller amount of time actually fixing the mistake. And it worked out. I mean, it's fine now. It was just a really awkward situation that as I kind of move into more like corporate work and the kind of doing the white label thing, like I'm used to being totally in charge and having that ideal client. It's a lot easier to navigate. So this was a definitely a learning experience for sure. Yeah, I definitely prefer to be in that direct relationship as well, or to be working with an intermediary because I do some white label work as well. But that's something where the the company that I'm working with, I have a good longstanding like three or four year relationship with them. And they have a relationship with their clients that lasts almost as long. You know, they've let a couple of clients go, but most of their clients are fairly long tenured. And so there's a level of trust that they trust me. And there's a level of trust that their clients trust them. And by proxy, their clients trust me. And so there's always that open communication, right? And there have been mistakes. It wasn't for this client, but I had one this week where I have a client that I'm taking on some of their process to help them out, which is something that I wouldn't normally encourage people to do, right? As much as possible, you want to stick to your process because taking on a client's process creates more complexity that can border on chaos. And in this particular one, they have YouTube videos that they want embedded in the blog post. Well, I got the YouTube video for last week's episode embedded in this week's show notes. So the podcast episode was good. It was fine. But the video was wrong. You know, it's an easy fix, but it becomes like, okay, yeah, I've got to talk to them. And it's my response was, oh, thank you for letting me know. I hadn't seen that one come across yet because it was like two hours after the thing went up. And so I went in and fixed it really quickly, right? Because the video isn't the main point. The podcast is the main point. The video is actually just similar to a headliner that they load up to YouTube. And they want it embedded in the blog post because they've got the transcription, they want the SEO, like all of that stuff. So it's it's really not the point. But at the same time, I'm like, thanks for letting me know. I'll get this fixed. But now in the back of my head, I'm thinking, do I need to implement a quality control check that's not me? Because right now I'm the quality control and I missed that one. That's It's hard. It's hard when you're doing the quality control yourself because things happen your you know life happens and especially you you're side hustling essentially so there i i feel like i start to make mistakes when like stuff around me is kind of crazy you know i'm i'm having to do things you know quicker than i would like right or i'm getting distracted by things like it's easy to not check it's easy to get stuff like that wrong i think especially when it comes to like when you're looking at code or a link as opposed to something else, right? And then sometimes you just want to be done. And I always tell myself this, those moments I don't want to check something. Like if I don't check it, it's going to be wrong. 
like that's going to be the thing that the client is definitely going to notice. Like I guess some, because sometimes you can get things wrong and the client maybe doesn't notice and you should definitely tell them afterwards because you don't want their audience to tell them, but like you can catch it and fix it and then update the client on it. However, what you don't want is the client to catch it. And what you super don't want is the client's audience to catch it. So I always, it's like Murphy's Law. If you're not checking, that's going to be the time where the client's audience catches it. Right. <laughs> and it's something where I did check my work, but because it's a scheduled YouTube video, I couldn't actually see the video that was embedded was the wrong one, right? Because they want the YouTube video to go up at the same time as the podcast episode. Well. When you put the embed code in there, it looks at that and says, well, this video, I can't see this, so I'm just going to display this blank spot. Oh, so that's harder. This is something where like, I'm seriously thinking, first off, I know from school that the person who writes the thing shouldn't be the editor, right? You shouldn't check your own grammar. Right. You need somebody with a fresh set of eyes. And so my thought is I probably need somebody else to do that. I'd love for that person to also take over that part of the workload, like the uploading and the scheduling. But I have some misgivings about allowing that person to quality check themselves, not because I don't trust them. But then it's easier for you to check them because it takes a lot less time, right? When you just reverse that situation where they do the, the work and you do the checking. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. I was really trying to go, can I get somebody in there? But that, that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> you don't want to do any of it. <laughs> well, it is, it's not that. It's that the more different things I do, the more distracted I become, the more potential for error there is. Yeah. That's what makes what we do particularly hard, I think, is that we're doing usually pretty complicated work in that it has a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts. And with audio, certainly it's not unless you're using something like Descript and you aren't when you're like actually doing the audio piece. You, there's nothing to see except for a waveform. Right. So it becomes infinitely harder to do these kinds of checks and keep track of everything. And sometimes you just want to be done. <laughs> I assume this has happened to you. I know it's happened to me. But what happens when the client catches a mistake? They want you to go back and look at something and it's not your mistake? Like, how do you not do the nana nana boo boo? It's all your fault. Like, how do you deliver that feedback? Well, I've delivered that feedback, but I'm not sure how well I've done it. Do you still have the client? I do. Okay. So I would say you probably delivered it pretty well. This is a struggle because obviously you don't want to go, you know, haha, jokes on you. <laughs> it was your fault or be annoyed, which is the other scenario. So what I have to do in that situation is I have to take a moment to process and yell at my husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do need to kind of like work through my response. And basically what I think works the best is just being completely logical about it. And then because I love my clients, I'll do like a, oh, well, here's what it looks like happened. And I'll break it down very logically. And then I will give maybe a little piece of advice and a little like kind of gentle pat, like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. You know, it happens to the best of us. Don't worry about it kind of thing. But I think that little nugget of um, 
you know, in my experience, like when you do this, this will happen. Or does that make sense? Like I, <laughs> I, I think so. Um, so basically I'm just trying to give them a little tip to make their life easier, essentially, which will also help them avoid repeating the mistake, which the categories. I'm noting that right now, <laughs> sort of on that vein. I, it was probably, well, it was, I think two years ago. Cause I think I was at Podfest at the time. I had a, a client that reached out to me and said like, Hey, a lot of the middles of these words are missing. Did you use a gate or something? They gave me kind of a general time frame, and usually I'm pretty specific, like you need to let me know exactly. But they're like, this is pretty common throughout. And so I ended up, and I wouldn't normally go this deep, but because of the the relationship with the client I did, I actually listened back to the whole thing. And anytime I found something that sounds, and I don't use gates also, right? I don't gate stuff. Oh, I was going to say, I've had this situation happen. So I'm okay. just, I'll, I'll add to that when you're done. Yeah, so what I did was I went through my edit and I found all the places where I could hear what what she was talking about. And then I went back to the original recordings and I was able to er- verify that 100% of the time, it was the high quality that we've come to know and love out of a Zoom recording with all of the sound things turned on. And this wasn't common for this client. I don't know if they were recording differently than usual. Like, I, I don't know if something changed, but it wasn't common. But and I, I knew that I didn't use a gate, but I didn't just want to say, hey, like I don't use gates, so it can't be me. And I, I did go through and I said, hey, I looked at it. And if you go back and listen to the raw recordings, you'll hear it is like this. Yeah, I don't know what else to tell you, but <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my instance, it wasn't Zoom. It was that the client didn't enunciate. Ah. So he'd be like, oh, it sounds compressed here. And I'm like, well, that's actually, you know, I had to deliver the news. That's that's how you speak. I ended up, because he, and it was like, uh, he's gotten better and he's worked on it, but it was actually a thing. Because I went through like a 90-minute episode and marked all the places and like hand wrote it in a notebook. So I could be like, because he kept saying, I kept, you know, it was like a recurring problem. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) kind of thing. Like, you know, it was one of those like, okay, I will redo it. And so I just kind of, I would just generally make things louder. But in this one episode, he was particularly bad and didn't enunciate at all. Like, it was just like the middles of words were just gone. And so that's when I, I really went through and had to have a, conversation with him afterwards right like a call about this to and then have to you know really get him to work on that speaking piece but you brought up a really good point and something that maybe we haven't like talked about yet is that that initial reaction so your client emails you and says hey there's a problem it's this what is that first email because I feel like that when a client emails you about a problem and then they don't get a response like rather immediately, they get antsy and there's a potential for them to get upset. So what does that first response look like to you and how quickly does it come? Mine is generally within a few minutes of whenever I see the email that come across, which may not be aligned with when they sent it, but I try to do my best. And my first response is always something along the lines of, thanks for letting me know. 
I'll take a look at it and get back to you. Do you ever give them an ETA? Like, you know. I don't. And there's there's a reason for that. But I'll say like, I'll go take a look at it and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Like something along those lines. The reason I don't give them an ETA, there's a couple. One is that before I know what the problem is, I don't know what's going to be required in order to fix it. Right. And also, I work a day job and my day job has this issue with me taking time that I'm supposed (laughs) to be working for them to do other stuff. And so I've got to make sure that I can juggle things around in such a way that I'm keeping them whole in terms of what they expect from me, if that makes sense. So, like, I'm juggling multiple priorities and I don't have a VA. So, I don't have somebody that's managing those and that can go take a look at it and say, yeah, we see the issue. Brian will be right on that or something like that. What happens if it's like something that's already been published or something that the client feels is super critical work? Like it it's it needs to be fixed like right away. Like, and you may not work with these kind of people, but somebody may. So have you had that experience where there was that expectation of like, no, you need to do this now. You need to fix this now. I would say that I haven't. And if I did, my response would probably be something along the lines of, okay, well, let me take that down until I can get the time that's required. So yes, I understand some people have already downloaded this. They're not going to get the new version unless they delete and reload anyway. So let me take that down so more people don't get it. And then I'll take a look at it, you know, and it might be a couple hours or or whatever it is. But also, I'm really transparent with all of my clients. Like every time I get on a sales call with somebody, and this started a, a couple of years ago, by the time they leave, if they're interested in working with me or even having a further conversation, they know that I'm a professional podcast editor and I work a day job and I'm building a small team. And so there are times during the day when I may not be as responsive as others because just like they would expect if they were employing me for me to be available for them, my daytime employer does have that expectation. And so I'm juggling those priorities and that's just how it works. Good answer. (laughs) No, I think that's really important because there are clients like that who really do. I mean, to them, it's their world comes crashing down, right? Because their podcast, there's something wrong. But I always, I always do do that initial, let me check that for you and Let's see how I can get this corrected. Something like that. And then if it's something where it is like an already published something, I do fix the mistake and I may not always take it down because it's already been downloaded by their audience, like automatically. Um, but I I do really when I when I do have it fixed and I have it corrected and I typically include like a plan so it doesn't happen again. Right. I mean, sometimes there's just there are like just freaky accidents like when something gets truncated, you know, it happens sometimes when you export a file, something gets truncated or, you know, it's just very rare. Yeah, I will include, you know, those corrective measures afterwards. But I also include uh it's okay. Right. It'll just make your audience like you better that you got something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done that. I, because first of all, I feel like there really aren't podcasting emergencies, right? This isn't like, nobody's going to die. Second, (laughs) I mean, I understand it feels like it, 
but really nobody is. So it's just, there's, a, you know, you get those clients who are maybe a little bit more high strung about it. So it's just a constant work to kind of bring them down to regular. <laughs> Take them down from like 10 on podcasting to like a nice mellow five so that they, you know, don't burn themselves out, which is another conversation. But uh, just letting them know that there is actual psychology behind the fact that when you make a mistake in front of your audience, your audience automatically thinks you're more relatable, or at least the good part of your audience thinks you're more relatable. And I don't know, I, and I say this because there's a podcaster who's writing a book, right? And he put out a newsletter about it and he got something completely wrong. I mean, like phenomenally wrong. And my response to him was, I like you better now. Like, it's nice to see it happen to somebody else, right? It's nice to see somebody else make a mistake and then acknowledge it so gracefully. You can use that mistake. So I let my clients know you can use those mistakes to connect in a deeper way with your audience. At what point do you think to yourself, hey, it's time to rethink my process? Like, because of this mistake, I need to change how I'm doing things. Oh, instantly. Like, I always think about what could I do to make it better, right? What could I do to prevent this from happening? Because ultimately, mistakes are money pits and energy sucks, right? So the less I make, the less I, you know, or the more money I make and the more energy I have because I'm not having to deal with it. So really it is, it is, there is deconstruction of that mistake and figuring out what is it going to take to never make this mistake again. I'm glad you said that because my approach in terms of process is if I make the same mistake twice or in now if we make the same mistake twice, it's time to change the process or it's time to add a quality check or it's time to do something to make that not happen. However, to your point, the first time I make a mistake, that doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. It's just that once I hit that second mistake, it's absolutely time. Well, I once made a mistake for a client like four times in a row because I didn't actually understand what mistake I was making. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about two completely different things, right? Um, and it was uh, like bumper music for an ad, which I wasn't, I thought I had left the um, intro music out, off, right? And I couldn't. So here I am like fixing these files. <laughs> I kind of thought he was a little bit crazy because I'm like, dude, I, I, I hear it. But it turns out he had wanted me to add in this music for the ads. Like before, you know, when you go into the ad and then when you come out of the ad, it just didn't connect in my brain. So I made this mistake like four times and it took him being like super clear about it and really kind of angry. <laughs> but sometimes when people get angry, they get very clear. And then I got it. And then I was like, okay, Never, it's just right into the template. It'll never be missed again. <laughs> um, which he was very gracious about. He was just frustrated in the moment. And I think one of the things that's important to remember is that your clients can be frustrated in the moment. And that is a natural response. 
And you can't always take that personally. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be frustrated when they send us garbage audio, they have a right to be frustrated when we screw up. I, I get it. Right, yeah. Doesn't make it comfortable. I, no. But uh, Daniel actually was adding some questions for us in our little tracker, and one of them really stuck out to me. What do you do if you notice a mistake that you made in an older episode and nobody's noticed? I would fix it. I would. I would fix it for the client and let them know that, you know, I heard this or I saw this and, you know, I'm just, I'm going to correct it for you. Some clients will be like, oh, it's no big deal. And other clients will be super, like, there's no lose in that situation. I would do the same. And I would think that maybe some people might push back on the whole notifying the client thing. Like, why would you tell them that you found a mistake? But my position is I don't ever want to make a change that makes it seem like I'm trying to cover up a mistake and sweep it under the rug. Like all the stuff that happens before we hit publish. Yeah. I don't have to tell them like we screwed up the the export five times in a row. They don't care. (laughs) But if something went out to 50 or 20,000 people and it was wrong, I think that I owe them out of integrity this just to say, Hey, I found this. I assume that you didn't notice it because you didn't tell me, but I wanted to let you know that this has been corrected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jessica said she, Jessica Rodriguez said that she would fix the mistake as well. And I hope that everybody would because you don't want it to appear like you're somebody who sweeps it under the rug or is, you know, not maybe as honest as you could be about that. I mean, and also you don't ever want the client or the client's audience to bring that mistake to you. Right. It goes back to that piece because that creates a different set of problems and maybe a little like bad taste in the client's mouth, essentially. What about the idea of deleting and re-releasing? I'm not a huge fan of that, but I think there might be a, a place for it occasionally. What what are your thoughts? No, I'm not a fan of that. You mean like taking an entire episode out, just removing it? Yeah. So let's say that episode 55 got jacked up. And rather than uploading new audio to episode 55, you actually delete the episode and create a brand new episode 55 with the corrected audio. No. Well, for one, they'll lose their stats. My thoughts on that one are that the only time I would want to do that is if the client said, we have to make sure that everybody gets the corrected version. Well, the only way to do that is to literally delete and then do that. Don't tell the clients that. (laughs) But as a listener, unless it was super jacked up, I wouldn't want that to happen because if I've already listened to it, errors and all, I don't want to think it's a new episode. Right, because then there's disappointment. Like, oh man, what's going on? Like, I already heard this one. What are they doing? One of the things that this makes me think of is just like that kind of error and not deleting specifically, but... There are YouTubers who will purposely leave mistakes in episodes for their audience to call them out on just to see if they're paying attention. Maybe we should encourage our clients to allow us to leave in mistakes for their (laughs) audience to call them out on. I think it's interesting. It, It is like they're very specific, purposeful mistakes. Usually it's like a repeated sentence or something or a repeated word. Like it's obvious that It should have been cut out, but it wasn't. But it isn't like, it's not like horrible sound or anything like that. But I think that's that's an interesting conversation. Like 
So the next mistake I would make in terms of like maybe cutting something and like at the end of fixing it and all that, that might be something that I bring up with my client. Like, by the way, did you know that like on YouTube, this is actually how they track engagement? Yeah, I would have had no idea. I mean, I watch YouTube stuff. But I would like, I would like just give that my client that fun fact, right? Because then it it kind of reframes and gives them another mindset almost to, or something to think about. That's not the fact that I just made a mistake. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know that you work with a couple of contractors. Do you ever have these kinds of things where you have to review with your team as well? And if so, how do you approach that? I shouldn't have said contractors, vendors that you work with. So I do, I will go over stuff with them. I don't think, you know, gosh, they've been with me for so long that they don't really make mistakes. And if they do, they're extremely little. Like, it doesn't take anything to fix. I do try to, like, teach them stuff. Like, if they're making mistakes or if I see a mistake repeatedly, then I'll just, like, kind of go over something with them. But because I know that they're working so hard and, um, you know, they're working in my budget, I don't get upset. I don't tend to bother them. There is one I fired because they were making a lot of mistakes. So, but that was a different scenario because I think something was happening there because it went, went like it was unusual, but it was like consistent for a while. So I I don't know what was happening there, but I I ended up having to, to let her go. But yeah, I look at those mistakes as like teaching moments. Those are something that I, I struggle with a little bit in terms of how to bring it up appropriately to a contractor. Um, and it, it has occasionally happened. And it's not so much that I don't want to bring it up as I'm not sure how much of the client's response I do or don't need to share, for example. And especially if it's something that they worked on a couple of weeks ago, it makes it like, how do I frame this up in a way that it'll be understandable to them? That's hard because when it's not fresh on the mind, right? it's hard to recall. What you, it's hard for me to go back and like, what? Well, let, me, let me think about what episode that was. Let's make this real for a second. What if the client sent you a note and said, hey, this is wrong and a contractor worked on it? Would you send it back to the contractor or would you just fix it? I would fix it first. Because, uh, yeah, because that's just so much faster. And then I need to know why it's wrong, right? I I, I need to still go through that deconstruction process. And I think that one of the benefits of being a contractor like that is that you don't deal with that, right? There's in exchange for not making all the money, you don't have to deal with that. those kinds of things. It's a little like you've got, you're shielded from it. And then I need to deconstruct it also so I can go back to the contractor and be like, hey, there was a problem with this. And I understand it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, but let's go through what happened. And that's why I approach it as a teaching moment, too, because I don't I know how emotional it is when you care about what you do. Like if Alejandro makes a mistake, which is very rare, but it's like, like, I don't want him to leave. <laughs> Right. I want to, you know, I want to keep them. I want to make that investment. And part of that when working with contractors, it is an investment because a lot of times they don't know, right, exactly how you want things done unless you communicate that. And I think as editors, we're so busy, that doesn't always happen. And so is it a mistake that is truly the contractor's fault 
Or is it a mistake that's your fault as a business owner managing a team who didn't make those things very explicitly clear? And also, are you managing that contractor in a way where mistakes happen less frequently? And I will share, that's a a challenge for me because I have a tendency. I mean, we've already talked about my control issues, right? (laughs) I have a tendency to want to touch everything before it goes out the door. And I realize that's a bottleneck and it's also a challenge I have. I still do. Like, even though I work with contractors, I still do. Like, at this point, I could very well let Alejandro do everything. But I would, I would then have to take the time to train him specifically how the clients like everything, right? Because I know how the clients like everything. He knows how I like things, but he doesn't know how every client likes everything specifically. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I don't know why I keep saying, does that make sense? Maybe because my brain is mush, but yeah. Well, because we're talking <laughs> about very theoretical things and if yes. you don't have the experience, it doesn't make sense. That's very true. I know that for me, one of the challenges that I have is not having a ton of SOPs, uh, standard operating procedures. I've got a lot of stuff built into my project management tool. It's like a list of tasks. It's not how to do all of the things. And so it's something that I probably need to invest in a little bit more. I don't know. I think if you're working with a team, it's probably a good idea. I actually think I did create something like that, just kind of like general policies that were more, it wasn't like exactly how to edit, although there were breakdowns of kind of the what's expected for each show for each or for the contractors. And this is when I was working with more because now I'm just working with Alejandro. But it's like an employee handbook. <laughs> yeah. You don't use it till you need it, right? And my goal really for that was just kind of, it was almost more for me to, it was a good practice and I'd recommend it to anybody. But I don't know that anybody ever read it unless they forgot how to edit a particular show. Yeah, we we probably need to, as a group, think through that because that's, I think that's a gap that I have as well. And that might be something that the community would find valuable also. Maybe we can't fill out all the pieces, but these are the things you might want to consider documenting. I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about that offline. Alejandro says he's like Jon Snow. He knows nothing. Not true. Uh, And Jessica Rodriguez says, yes, I listen all the way through and fix some things that my contractor um, does. I guess and my contractor does too. But mine has gotten good at knowing what I want. And I think that is really key is knowing what they want. I think a big part of that is you as the business owner giving them clear direction. And also there's an element of stability with the client, right? If you've got a, I don't want to say unstable as though they're mentally unstable, but if you have a client that has a tendency to change their requirements, it'll be really hard for your team to figure that out because everything that they're getting is filtered through your understanding of what the client wants. And so if the client keeps changing it on you, it's going to be really hard for you to lead your team because best case scenario, they're still going to be drafting off of you. Yeah. And do you think that the client expectations and the client communication is something that can lead to more mistakes than, say, usual? I would say that I definitely wouldn't one of my contractors working directly with the client because I want to know. No, but I mean, just like you, 
Like if the clients aren't clear or explicit in what they want, if they don't share that, you know, because we can take this conversation about kind of managing contractors and shift it to managing clients. Right. And and I think that's a, that's a leadership principle, right? The mist in your mind becomes a fog in the minds of the people that are, that you're trying to work with. And so if the, the client keeps changing, so everything's misty because they kind of know what they want. That becomes a fog for you. And if you're trying to pass down this fog that you think you understand to your contractors, like they might as well be sitting in the middle of a thunderstorm at that point. Yeah, but also just even from the start of that relationship, even if you don't have contractors and you're the only one working with the client, how do you get the client um, to really communicate well what they want? Is there, Do you have any strategies for that? My strategy is to try to be as clear as I can to make sure like when we drop the agreement, for example, that everything is documented as best it can be. And then I will generally, and I'll frame this up with the client and I'll say, Hey, like I typically require this amount of time to do an edit. I would like for you to give me a little bit more time on the first one or two, because those are going to be the edits where we're translating all of the words that we've said back and forth into a very concrete thing. And that'll be our opportunity to understand if we've misunderstood anything. Oh, I like that. That's really good. We need to write that one down because I think that's great language to make the client understand because I say something similar, but not, I don't think that clearly uh, to take those kind of abstract things and make them concrete for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily use those exact words either. I probably should. You should. Absolutely. I think uh, but, we all should. <laughs> but that's what I tell them is, hey, this this first edit. I'm going to try and do it in the normal time horizon or maybe even a little bit faster because I want you to listen to it and make sure that what you're getting is exactly what you thought you were getting. And if not, we need to have a conversation about that because going forward, you're going to be getting something very similar to this unless we find out that we've miscommunicated. Like this is how I understood what you're saying because what I don't want to do is sit on a Zoom call and try and whiteboard everything to them and say, okay, this is how we're going to do our crossfades and like, right. Because I mean, yeah. the question can go, how far down in the weeds do you want to go? And the fact is most clients don't want that. They just want it to sound really good. Right. And they don't always know how to communicate it either. No. So, and they also that- don't necessarily know the impact, right? So they might say, well, <laughs> I read somewhere that your fade out from the intro music should be no longer than three seconds. Well, depending on the song that you're using, like what your music is, that may or may not make sense. And so, uh, you know, you need to have that opportunity. And my experience has been that almost nobody on the client side thinks that the fade outs should be as long as they really need to be until they hear them. And they go, oh, like that was a really obvious fade out until you fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel says, don't tell Chris Curran that. <laughs> don't tell him about the fades? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Chris would say that in his view, most fades need to be longer than they were as well. Oh, you're talking about the outro. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the two to three minute just a song outro. I don't I know that he still like does that. Because sometimes you get stuck, like you're listening to a podcast and then you're doing something and then the podcast might end and then it you don't I don't want it to go to some random podcast like it would like the autoplay. Mm-hmm. So that gives me enough time to finish what up what I'm doing and enjoy myself. And especially if it's a good song. Right. 
Yeah. Then I can transition into the next whatever. But yeah, I'm a fan of that. Okay. So. Well, it's it's good that we have a variety of opinions, right? <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> so w- what have we missed? Uh, I'm sure we missed a lot because it's a very big kind of hypothetical conversation. How about this? Those of you that are watching or listening later to the podcast, we're pretty sure we haven't covered everything. We'd like to think we did, but we might not have. So if you don't agree with what we've said, or if you think that there's something we should have talked about, we would love to hear from you. Carrie, how can they send information to us? Send us an email at um yeah at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. You could go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com and use that handy dandy contact form, or you could join our Facebook group, found on Facebook. <laughs> at po- <laughs> at podcast editor Facebook.com slash group slash podcast editors mastermind. There is a theme. And we really would love to hear from you. We enjoy doing the podcast, but mostly, at least for me, I enjoy knowing that these conversations are valuable for people. Even if they don't get any answers from us, at least we're thinking about the things that business owners think about because that's what we are. We're business owners. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, Carrie. I didn't mean to no, cut you off. I don't have anything. I'm just like hoping you keep going. Cause... Well, I, I don't really have anything else to talk about. Except... Oh, do we have a Poddex? Well, we do have a Poddex question of the day. Okay. Uh, I need for you to pick a number between one and five so that I don't have an unfair advantage on the Poddex question of the day. Four. Number four. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> how would you like to die? I'm going to start with how I would not like to die. I would not like to die because I had a heart attack when I heard that I screwed up a, an episode for a client. As far <laughs> as how I would like to die, I think I would like to fall asleep one day or one night, rather, satisfied with life and with the impact that I've had and with what's you know, like the, my kids and like the legacy that I've left and just not wake up the next morning. I wouldn't mind that either. And I don't want to die of anxiety, but I also <laughs> wouldn't be opposed to dying in like, you know, some sort of apocalypse, like, cause that would be quick, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe or some yeah well no in a okay let me put it this way I wanted um I could die in a quick apocalypse or some sort of glorious battle for something like a like a Klingon uh, <laughs> I think I take the Vulcan approach a little bit myself okay yeah but you know I just like the idea of dying like a warrior I don't do battle with anybody I don't anticipate in being any kind of war. <laughs> Um, I don't know about apocalypse, but, you know, something nice and fast. And if it's not going to be peaceful, let it be glorious. Cool. For those of you that are watching or listening, of course, you're welcome to answer. You can either leave a comment in the in the thread. In fact, I think Alejandro said something inappropriate. So we're yeah (laughs) for the last hour. He didn't really say it. He said it would be inappropriate, (laughs) but we get it. Uh, And Daniel just wants it to be quick and painless. There you go. Uh, And if you're listening later, of course, you can go to the episode notes and leave a comment there. Or uh, heaven forbid, you should leave us a rating or review and maybe some feedback in something like Podchaser where you could say, hey, I was listening to episode number 50 of the podcast editor's mastermind. And for their silly question, I thought this was my favorite way to die because I can't think of anything somebody looking for a show about podcast editing would (laughs) connect with more than looking for a way to die. 
Well, I think we would all agree if not of anxiety or heart attacks from like getting feedback from our clients. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, so. if if you're watching or listening later and you're thinking, hey, I would like to be a guest on the podcast editor's mastermind. Maybe you're an expert with something to offer the community, or maybe you're a a person who's thinking, hey, I would like to get on with Carrie and Brian or Daniel or some combination of those people. <laughs> along with the rest of the people in the chat and talk about some challenge that I've got going on in my business to have the group help me through that. Uh, Carrie, how can they do that? They can go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com and click on be a guest, fill out a simple form and it goes directly to our inbox where we now actually receive it. Awesome. We got that fixed. I think we got it fixed a while ago, but <laughs> yeah. it was a fun little thing to have in there. And yeah, right there on the page, even I can find it. So it can't be that hard. For those of you that joined us, thanks so much for being here live. If you're catching us later, thanks for downloading and listening or watching it on Facebook. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. Next to me is... Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com or at Carrie Eric on Instagram for now. And our producer today, not visible in the in the video, not not audible, but definitely in the trenches helping us out has been Daniel Abendroth. You can find him at rothmedia.audio. And I have it on good authority that if you find him on Instagram, you might as well not. So maybe just find him on rothmedia.audio, connect with him there and maybe on Facebook. And what is he? He has a new Twitter. Sorry. Ooh, he has a new Twitter? I didn't know that. He has a new Twitter and we will put that in the show notes because I think that that ought to be promoted. It is, I think, um, wait... Reaper for podcasting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. At Reaper for pod on Twitter. Cool. Well, Daniel, congratulations on the new Twitter. Hope it serves you well. For those of you that joined us, thanks so much. Bye, y'all. Uh, um, so how much is that? Um, 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 um